Welcome once again to Three Gens Theology. It is great to be with you today. We are covering the very simplistic, easy to understand hypostatic union today. Absolutely no problem. We'll probably just take about five minutes, talk about it very plainly, and uh, be done with it. Uh, short, short, easy, common. Dan is talking in hyperbole yeah. right now. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, the, the joining of uh, of the Lord's humanity and His deity uh, is is wonderful and difficult, right? Wonderful yes. and difficult. So uh, we're going to be talking through that today. We're excited about it, and we have talked about it already throughout this process um, in in different parts. And so we're going to try to bring that to, um, to its. Uh, um, to its fuller conversation uh, today. Looking forward to that, and so hope that you uh, do as well. In all of these, we want to bring about a better understanding of who Christ is so that you can grow in a fuller understanding of who He is so your relationship with Him is more confident and fuller, and, uh, and uh, your praise of Him is greater, your desire to live for Him is more. Um, it really comes back to a relationship uh, with Him, not so you can have more information in your head, but that what you can know about him can bring about a life that gives him glory. It's really what we want, and uh, we want to be a help in that in your life. So it's good to be with you today. Let's uh, start with prayer. Father, thank you for uh, the fact that you are beyond our understanding. Certainly you are. Help us, Lord, to understand you in a greater way, that we might in a fuller sense uh, understand you so that we can praise you so that we can worship you in, in, a, in a more correct way, mm-hmm. so that we can live for you uh, with honor, um, with obedience more immediate and uh, more, more respectfully. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we talk about this uh, topic today, Lord, that you would give us clarity of, of speech and that we might relay these truths in a way that are understandable uh, as much as as we can, uh, Lord, that you would do a great work in in lives uh, through these times. Thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dan. Now you can take over with the easy, easy, the plain easy explanation yeah. of things. Yeah. <laughs> Last time we were together, we talked about the incarnation of the Son of God taking on flesh. The fact that Jesus Christ was uh, one person. And at the same time, one of the most amazing things that we can say about him is that he was both God and man, that a divine nature and human nature were joined together into one person. Um, Just absolutely blows our minds Mm. to begin with. But at the same time, thrills us because as we're discussing this, we're going to discuss the fact that without this combination, without the two natures coming together, without him being both God and man, the wonderful plan of redemption that God had planned from the very beginning could not have taken place, Mm -hmm. that we would not have a Redeemer, we would not have a Savior, we would not have the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. However, as we talk about this subject, we find ourselves coming straight into mystery. 
And I use mystery in this term, not in the sense of something that was not revealed before, but is now being revealed. I wish we could reveal everything that is true about this amazing hypostatic union that we're going to talk about. But the truth of the matter is that we do enter into mystery here. Mystery in the sense of not knowing and understanding everything that's involved. Did God the Son, in taking on a human nature, uh, do that for all time and eternity? Are there two persons, divine person and human person, combined in Jesus Christ? So that there's kind of a, uh, a special variety of personal conflict that might be going on there? How much sharing of attributes could have taken place in this theanthropic, theos, theos being God and anthropos being man, this theanthropic being? How much sharing of attributes was going on? Did the Son take on the attributes of God? Did God take on the attributes of a human being? These and many other questions are brought to mind when considering the issue of the hypostatic union. Hypostasis means substance, confidence, or assurance. In some places it's used and translated as confidence or assurance. But in this particular usage of hypostasis, we're talking about the issue of substance. In fact, we're talking about person, personhood. Um, the hypostasis means, in theological terms, two, the two natures of Jesus the divine and the human, becoming one person. Some of the most difficult theological problems in the history of the church have developed in debates over how we are to understand this union, this special person, this unique individual who was Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be thinking about some of these issues as we talk today. Uh, and we're going to admit from the very beginning that there is so much that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. Theologically speaking, we can argue various points about this. We can, we can agree or we can differ. But the truth of the matter is that if we have to bring up biblical evidence to support some of the things that we might discuss, we would find that we can't do it. And that's where we go from biblical evidence to theologizing. Hmm. Theologizing is not bad, right. but it, what it is is simply our, our attempt to explain the inexplicable, to go beyond the evidence that we have mm -hmm. and try to explain some of the things that relate to this very special theanthropic person. Can I, can I jump off on that? Because uh, I think this applies to all, to all theology. What the scriptures say is right, and that's what we want to go with. That's right. There's nothing wrong with going beyond that and saying, I think this, and I think mm -hmm. that, and I think this, as long as we're saying, that's what I think. Right. Right? That's what I think. From, from these things, I think it's hinting that those things are true. But we need to stick with um, what God said as what God said. Right? Those Those are the undeniable truths. Right. And there's no problem with us going past that and saying, I think these things. Um, logic is that way, that we think if God said these things, 
then steps two, three, and four mm-hmm. must be true. That's right. And we treat steps two, three, and four like they are what God said because logic says they must be true. Yeah. But if God didn't say they're true, then we at least have to say, I think logic would say steps two, three, and four. Right. But in 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 a variety of the theological settings, you do have logical steps as foundational theological bases for uh, for teachings. Right. And it's it's always danger when your basis is logic, human logic from from what God has right. said. Right. The way I like to explain what you're saying, Dan, is is if you take the Bible and you read a passage and you read another passage and you conclude up here that the relationship between these passages is this, yeah. or that what this passage is teaching and this passage is teaching can be combined into this, this is never divine. This is never uh, trustworthy to the degree that the scriptures themselves are. And we must always be careful not to take our conclusions and assume that our conclusions have the same value as the teachings of the scripture. Right. Nothing wrong with making those conclusions. That's right. Nothing wrong with logical steps two, three, and four as what we think, but we always have to be careful to not say that that's what God says. That's right. When it's not what God says. Right. I think uh, this might be a good time to to jump into. Uh, we talked about uh, a couple podcasts ago. I made a comment. I was talking, was comparing omnipresence and love, right? And how uh, how we see that uh, interacted in uh, in Jesus, right? And I made a comment about how God is clearly has clearly put off His omnipresence. Uh, but he still has some aspect of his love, and and so whereas I I would still I would stand behind that. We got to discussing afterwards that I am taking a step outside of scripture. There, scripture does not say, you know, David four seven. Jesus put aside his omnipresence, <laughs> right? Uh, right. And so that's an area where even as we kind of walk through this, it's kind of a minefield because I didn't even think about that being an issue. And then we got to talking about, hey, like, hey, that, you know, that might have been an extra step. And so right. that was something we wanted to bring up. But you know, that, that's that's an example of this where I, I, you know, logic something so much in my own head that I said it like it was scripture. Yes. Uh, but yeah. uh, and it might not be false, but we also have to recognize that I it's on a different level than what Scripture says. Right, and I, I think there is where we begin to get into, as you said, the minefield side, because one of the things that we have to do is we have to see the evidence of Scripture as far as what the humanity of Christ was like, and we also look at the evidence of Scripture as to the deity of Christ, yep. and then we move into another area altogether, and that is... When we start talking about while Jesus Christ was walking on earth, what were the attributes of him as God 
how were they being expressed or not expressed in the purpose in the person of Jesus Christ and we also have to discuss the personality of Jesus we see evidence that Jesus is growing in knowledge and yet we know that the son of god is omniscient and so we find ourselves at the edge of the difficulty right here of coming to the question if jesus was in fact if jesus christ was the only place the son of god was manifested during his lifetime then would you say that he was omnipresent and some might answer no he was not omnipresent because he was here. He was localized in one place. Where others might say, no, because he is God, he had to continue to be omnipresent, but he localized himself with this special uh, God-man relationship uh, and did not express that omnipresence in any way. Big questions, big issues that we're, that we're dealing with as we talk about this. Yeah. So that the it certainly is like I think what Cy was saying is the the problem the only issue I think with what you were saying was that you said we know that right. he, that he set aside and so that's where the that's uh that's where that challenge can come in sometimes is just the w- the dogmatic part <laughs> right. of it. Right. Do we know? Do we know? Do we know? Right. right. Yes. Do we know. And yes. so um and just just to just to say about that, not everybody um, um, not everybody who who makes a who says a phrase that sounds like they've made a misstep is first of all intentionally making a misstep right. Right. and even intends that that phrase overall is what they're saying. You're right. Is what they're saying right. in that phrase. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I, I, you weren't even you weren't even saying anything about omnipresence. You were thinking you were, about you were that. asking about yeah. multiple attributes. Right, 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 right. You were trying to compare attributes right. between the omnis and the uh, love, the emotion, the, you know, the concept the, the, the that unseen he laid or, aside everything. But right. Love, so right. I, I think that's where. I think sometimes in a theological setting, people are looking for how I can how I can differentiate what I say from what that person says because my theology is much better than that person's. You know, they pick apart things. So I'm not even so much saying that that we need to be we do need to be careful of what we say. There's no doubt about that. But I don't I don't even know that we need to be. We don't need to be so so picky that we shoot at everybody who says a phrase wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean. But um, but we need to be careful um, where we where we set our foundations. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say. I guess yep. we need to be careful where we set our foundations because uh, you know my view of Adam and Eve again my view. What it says is that Eve said God said something that we don't see God saying, mm-hmm. right, at right. the temptation and fall. Um, 
Now, could God have said, said that to Eve? Maybe, but I, I don't think he did. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think one of Eve's real problems is that she said God said something that he didn't say, and then her whole foundation became was, what she was thought fault, God said. Was faulty. Right, right. Right? Was her taking what God said and taking it a step further, and then her foundation was faulty. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we don't know that what she said is not what God said. I'm trying to be careful of my own problem here. Um, but uh, I think that's a real problem. So in this hypostatic union setting, we have truths that we know about his, hum- his humanity and truths that we know about his deity. And when those come together, it is challenging. Mm-hmm. And so um, there are going to be different views of those things, but there are certain foundational things that we, m- we have to come to as biblical. Right. And then we can talk about, oh, I think that, and I think that. Right. And there can be yeah. there can be things that you think are really out in left field uh, that somebody might think. And as long as they're sticking to the foundational truths and they think, you know, that Jesus had yellow hair, you know, okay. <laughs> you know, okay. Well, it, I think it I, helps. I don't think you did, but okay. I think it helps, uh, even in regard to what you were asking, Cy, I think it helps to realize that, in a sense, a discussion of theology, a discussion of the hypostatic union, for example, is a little bit like a debate. And you do listen for what the other person says. You listen for how the other person says it. And then in, in a context in which a statement is being made where there's theological debate going on, Every word becomes significant. Yep. Where I think what your dad was saying is when you say we know that, that wasn't your purpose. You weren't right. You weren't emphasizing we know that. You were emphasizing the rest of what you said. But I think in a theological debate, that becomes an uh, issue. An important, you, every right. word becomes significant then. Yep. And that's why our helping you to understand the the intense depth and difficulty of this subject is worth the time of doing because we want you to understand that the scriptures teach that Jesus was fully man. The scriptures teach that he was fully God, that the divine human uh, person that we're talking about, Jesus Christ, was both God and man, and that combination creates for us logical and theological issues that are very difficult to understand. And I think that's the way God intended it Mm -hmm. to be. If he wanted us to fully understand how that could work, we would have that chapter Daniel or that book Daniel (laughs) that would give us then all the explanation for how this works, but we have not been given that. I want to applaud size transparency about that. It's... uh... Uh, he wanted to say something the second we got back on the air after mm-hmm. after uh, doing that, and we said, "Well, why don't we push it to when we talk about hypostatic union?" Um, and what I'm sure to be true is that I have said things that are inaccurate, and I just we all do. I just haven't had it. <laughs> I haven't. We haven't discussed it afterwards. <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, that, so, and that's what I want to like. I, I I would highly encourage anybody like have discussions about I, I don't 
I bristle at debate because I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I've, I'm prepared for a debate. But my, like when my theology has grown the most is when I'm having general conversation about sure. a passage and, and someone sure. says, what about this? And I, I never thought about that. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I, yeah. I think it's, I think it, at times it feels like, well, we got to, I got to really study scripture so I can come up with a, you know, thesis statement on this. And mm-hmm. like, I think sometimes it's, it's really nice just say like, oh, I was reading this and I kind of had this thought about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then to allow friends and, and those around you to say, well, what about this passage? Right. Um, and, and honestly, that's a lot of what we're doing with, with hypostatic union is mm-hmm. we each kind of have a different, a different take on things. We, our foundations, I, I think we can yeah, very solid. confidently say our foundations are the same, and right, we come right. at we come at it from different ways. Mm-hmm. But it's been I I genuinely really enjoyed our prep for this of just kind of sharing those and saying, oh, I never thought about that way, <laughs> right. and and how great right. that is for for our theology. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I think even having uh, we typically feed what we already believe, uh, and so in our own study, we often feed what we already think we know right so having having uh deeper discussions or or reading reading or taking in teaching of those who would be opposed to us and not just listening with a critical mm-hmm. uh gotcha right <laughs> thought but actually you know and so that's that's why it's easier for people that we trust like in this setting where where we we value each other's opinion right. and value and trust each other that that we care about each other you know it's easier in that setting to question our own our own thinking sure um, as opposed to as opposed to thinking to reading or listening to somebody who's opposed to who we know is a different thought because there's already a, a contradiction th- thought right. in how we're taking it in. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, so it is good to uh, to talk through some of the uh, just passages, right, but also more theological contexts um, you sure. know, to take in things. And as long as we're, we're throwing in uh, good thoughts, and we are, uh, I'd like to throw in one pet peeve, and that is after a good service— after a good class, after a good sermon, it bothers me that we can so quickly jump into some kind of just generalized, uh, unscripted, personal life-related, sports-related thing without ever taking the time. Let's not go after sports now. No, I'm going to go after (laughs) sports. Uh, Without taking the time, to talk with each other a little bit about what we just heard. If God the Holy Spirit has been using the Word of God to speak to our hearts about some specific need that we have, some specific theological issue, some specific biblical truth that needs to be applied to our lives, I would love to see us get together afterward and let that be the first thing we talk about. So that we really, really are literally building each other up in our faith. I think that that's something that uh, I would like to see follow the morning service. Uh, sometimes it does. Generally, it doesn't. So there's my pet peeve. I've well, gotten it off my, good sermons, my shoulders. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you're fine. <laughs> okay. 
the humanity of Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was born. He increased in stature. Uh, Luke 2.52, he became hungry. He became tired. John tells us this. He became thirsty. He became emotionally troubled. John 12, 27, 13, 21. He sorrowed. He cried. He could sympathize with our weaknesses because he was in all points as we are tempted and yet without sin. Hebrews 4, 15. People saw him as a man. Yeah, I think that's one of the best things, even more than the than the the thirst and the tired and even more than that when people saw him that guy from galilee that guy from nazareth you know the 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 recognition from others uh was was not oh that oh until until they got it until they saw a miracle until they but when they when they saw him uh that guy yeah you know that guy they saw him as a human yep but all of the things that I mentioned, the, the they're thirst they're and all the rest components. of that, they're important from one specific point, and that is human beings right. are like this. The, the thoroughness. It wasn't. He didn't just. Uh, he didn't just uh, appear. He wasn't a hologram that people saw. He, and he didn't he take he a actually, rock and make a bread, make bread out of it, right. you know, or if he got thirsty, he didn't, you know, make himself a, a diet Coke. That none of that happened. He did what human beings do when they're thirsty, when they're hungry, when they're uh, e- emotionally uh, distressed, he would go off and talk to his heavenly father. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things that humans do. Right. And that's how human he was. Yep. The, the writer of the book of Hebrews describes that so beautifully uh, in chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same through death that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid us who are tempted. That's a, a beautiful yeah. passage describing exactly what we're talking. Hebrews about. has so Hebrews has several passages that are great on both sides of both yes. sides of this uh, thing. Read, read Hebrews. Great. <laughs> yes, if you want to have <laughs> we a, recommend if you want to have a, a great a better understanding of the hypostatic union, read read Hebrews. Right. Um, uh, when you think about the humanity of Christ, um, you know it's. The same, the same one who created the animals and the trees and the waters um, and mankind now is tired mm-hmm. and thirsty. The one who didn't need to rest on the seventh day but did as an example to us after creating the entire universe is now uh, s- needing sleep. It. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's yeah. Uh, it's it's so 
so different. Right. You know, um, but so the humanity part is is real. It is, it's, and it's beautifully real. That's it's interesting, Dan. That, I, and I find that this is something. And Sai, maybe you can correct my thinking on this, but I really think that if you were to take a a, a poll of the general public, children all the way up to adults. And you ask them what the hardest thing was to believe about Jesus, it would not be that he was human, but that he was God. That would be the part that would be hardest for people to understand and believe. And yet, in Jesus' time, and after that, for the next couple of centuries, there was a whole movement of thought that opposed the idea that God could ever become man. Right. In other words, that the humanity of Jesus had to be something that was manufactured, that God made himself look like a man, that he turned himself into a man, but not that he was both God and man. That, that Gnostic idea that you have to have a very low level of continual reiterations of what a divine being might be like to get all the way down to the level of a human being who would call himself God. Um, and so for us today, the whole situation has, has switched. In Jesus's lifetime, there were many who would not have accepted him as being the son of God. Well, we can we can follow but that the thinking that that everything that all matter every everything is evil every everything that you can touch every mat all matter is evil you can you can see kind of where they would get that that our sure. world our world is, is evil, evil. Yeah. Um, and then so Jesus couldn't have been a man really because that's evil so you can. You can right. see how their presupposition would make it so that Jesus couldn't have been a man. Yep. Today, we're kind of the opposite. Today, we think if we could just fix things a little bit, we might have utopia here. Yeah, right. And so we're kind of we would be we we have kind of turned things upside down divine. in our in our worldview yep. thinking um, <clears throat> uh, now, and so we would have a a variety of view a, a a varied view from that. Yes. Yeah. So moving from the humanity, we need to remember that the deity is something that we have already seen the scriptures teach. The Son of God is, in fact, a member of the Trinity. And so now a member of the Trinity is going to come down and take on a human nature. Now, we've, we talked about nature. We didn't talk an awful lot about personality, but we have the issue of personality here, too, because a, a nature that is individualized is what we would call a person, okay? And a person is possessed of personality. You say that uh, whether a person is personable or not, <laughs> whether they seem to be a personality or not, the fact of the matter is that there are aspects, the, the, the mind, the emotions, the will of that individual expressing themselves through the, the mind and the, the physical apparatus that we are given to interact with the world and with people around us. We express our personality through all of this. 
So what happens when you take the divine Son of God, God himself, and join God to a human nature? Well, obviously there is a personality that develops from that. But that personality is unique. That personality expresses itself in ways that are unique. And so going back to a discussion that the, the three of us have been having, apart from our podcast, um, you get to the question, well, did the Son of God bring himself into this world, combined to a human nature, and did he then cause himself in the agreement with the will and the purpose of the Father and the Holy Spirit to no longer express or possess any of the aspects of his godhood and just become a man? Well, that isn't true. It can't be true. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the God-man. We would have a man who was made by God. So there has to be a way in which the God-man would be able to interact with the world around him, to, to have a consciousness of what was going on in his unique person. And those are the things that help us to realize both the beauty of God's plan and also the difficulty of it. Because explaining how he could be both God without taking on human attributes and man without taking on divine attributes requires that we see that the God-man be totally unique in every way. And something that is completely unique is uniquely difficult to explain. Hmm. Yeah. So how would you uh, how would you react to the to the simplistic statement of one plus one equals one in referring to uh, to Excuse me. hypostatic union? Um, it's it's an illogical math statement, um, but it is often used in this in this arena. Mm-hmm. Um, you think that's an uh, obviously it's too simplistic, but you find that to be an accurate. It's not two. It's not. Two, it's not <laughs> it's two. Not two. It's, it's not two no. natures, right? It's one nature. It's one nature. That's right. right. One nature, right? And I think it, there's so much one person. One person. One person. Yeah. Right. There, it's it's there's much there that is uh, challenging. Like I I said a couple times ago that Christ was aware of who he was, mm-hmm. okay? Well, was he aware of who he was when they were changing his diapers? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's a, there's, there's a lot of mystery. Mystery, right? unknown. exactly. There's a lot of unknown there exactly. for sure. Um, and um, there are, there are, um, there are really challenges there. He, he did not, in the kenosis idea, he did not stop being God at any point, mm-hmm. at any time, fully God the entire time, and yet took on, took on man. Yes. And uh, it is challenging to put that together. The and, only evidence we have from Scripture, Dan, is, is just that time when at the age of 12 he was in the temple. Right. 
we we otherwise we know know at that point that he knew (laughs) we have lots of stories that are told about jesus uh in the apocryphal writings and the pseudepigraphal writings but they're not accurate they are they're human sort of theologizing if you will in writing stories about jesus and what he might have been like but they're not based upon the evidence that we actually have and so the only evidence that we have is that at least at the age of 12, he knew what his father's business was. Right. Moving then into his adulthood, we see the, the reason that some people have suggested that maybe Jesus simply became aware as an adult that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. Uh, But a lot of people who argue that argue it from the position that Jesus was a man who took upon himself the task of becoming the Messiah. And yet that's not how Scripture presents him at all. Mm -hmm. Scripture very clearly presents him as one who was fully cognizant of the fact that his heavenly Father was directing him, that the Holy Spirit was guiding him in what he was doing, that he was doing the will of the Father, that he was, in fact, accomplishing everything that needed to be accomplished to fulfill what was prophesied concerning the first coming of the Messiah. Even if Israel didn't fully understand that there would be two aspects to that coming, if you will. The first coming as the suffering servant the second coming as the one who would die for the sins of the world. So um, this certainly obviously is related to the kenosis um, conversation, but you have these contrasting um, statements where you have him thirsting and hungry and completely human uh, and then you have statements like Colossians 2 that would say, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, you know? Mm-hmm. Present tense. You know, yeah. So <laughs> uh, you have you have at the same time, um, you know, a, a full representation of who God is and someone who needs the next meal. Yeah. You know, uh, who gets tired when walking. Um you know, who, who aches um, uh, over someone. The one, uh, he, he, he weeps for someone, for hurting people, when he knows he's the solution for the, for the issue. Yeah. Um, that one gets me because I'm thinking as a parent, I'd be like, would you just wait a minute? Just wait and I'll fix it. <laughs> but he doesn't. He weeps for them. He weeps, he weeps in care for, for them. So. In fact, in his weeping, he cries over Jerusalem and... Right. Wants them to understand why don't you receive what it is yeah. that I'm offering. It's yeah. it's it's a beautiful contrast because the the Jesus who is hungry is the Jesus who feeds the five thousand. Right. The Jesus who is in the wilderness for forty days and nights and is is exhausted and tired and hungry and thirsty is the Jesus who resists the devil when he comes to tempt him and and goes back to scripture and says, I must obey God. I must not 
listen to what you have to yeah. say. Yeah. This this beautiful contrast, um, the the fact that the demons, when they are confronted by Jesus, say, "Son of God, why are you here to torment us?" They know who He is. Mm-hmm. They know fully who he is. And yet those who are around him see this extraordinary man who is able to cast out demons. Yep. yep. So we cannot fully explain how that happened. We can't explain all the intricacies of the middle ground of that. Mm-hmm. Um and yet we can have great confidence that it's true because yes. what we see is statements of his, of his real humanity and statements of his complete deity. Yeah. Um, and so we can, we can have confidence in that truth while we don't fully grasp the, uh, the, um, the, intri- All the intricacies, in- intricacies of, it. Yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, it's it's easy to say this, but it is true that it's there's a sense of it that it's good that I can't gather all these things about the Lord because if I could understand Him, I probably wouldn't need Him, right? Mm. Um, but we don't want to just give up on that and just say, well, you know, He's just too big for me; I can't understand Him. We do want to seek to understand more and right. more of right. of what the Scriptures say, and then what those what in in what the Scriptures say what those might mean what those next few steps might be, right? We do want to push into that some and say, well, what does that really mean? What is that saying? Um, but then settle ourselves on our found, founding truths on what the scriptures say about who he is. Yes, and I, I would like to just kind of throw in one final thought for today. And it's something that I've mentioned before, but I challenge you, uh, dear friends, to open the book of Revelation and read that first chapter and see the ascended Christ, the God-man in all of his glory as he is described there with the fullness of his glory returned to him by the Father as he prayed he would in John 17. See that beautiful picture and know that while it's difficult for us to explain it is he is real he is in fact the god man that has been able to accomplish purposes that could only be accomplished should god become man and do what he did and we'll talk a little bit more about that later good way to close uh, to go to the scriptures um, we encourage you to read in hebrews about the man and the deity of of christ and then revelation 1 the beauty of the resurrected christ that we will Stand before one day, right? Stand before one day, how good that will be. Thank you for joining with us today. Um, We'll look forward to uh, moving on in Christology next time as we look at uh, Christ as our Messiah, as we uh, look forward to talking about some of the wonderful uh, prophecies and wonderful work that he did there uh, as our as our Savior and Lord. So it's good to be with you today. Uh, go and go and serve fully, live fully for Him, and uh, and take in the Word and uh, uh, fill yourself up with the truth of who Christ is. Amen.